Hello, I'm Kimberly Dondo, Digital Content Manager, and welcome to In Conversation With, the podcast series that delves into the world of financial services and brings you face-to-face with some of the most notable figures in the industry. Listen as we discuss topics that are currently facing the industry and hear from visionary CEOs to disruptive innovators as we bring you a diverse array of voices and perspectives. We'll explore the challenges they faced, the lessons they've learned, and the insights they have to share about the ever-evolving landscape of financial services. Hello and welcome to In Conversation With. I'm Kimberly Dondo and in today's episode I'm joined by Richard Bate, partner at Waitman's. Uh, thank you for joining me today, Richard. Oh, you're very welcome. Lovely to meet you. Um, so Richard, can you uh, start off by giving us a bit of background into yourself and how you got started? Yeah, so so um, I'm a partner at Waitman's um, based in Manchester. I started in the traditional route, so I went through uh, university studying law. Mm-hmm. Um, college of law, and then I've been a private client lawyer ever since. So pretty dull, um, but for <laughs> 30 years of private clients. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's dull. I think it's very interesting. Um, but let's start with the uh, with the basics. Uh, could you yeah. explain to our audience what wealth transfer encompasses and why it's essential for our listeners, many of whom are financial advisors? Yeah, sure. So, so from a private client lawyer perspective, Wealth transfer really is about estate planning. So mm. how um, money or assets can be transferred in the most appropriate manner to suit the person both making the gift and the recipient. Mm-hmm. Now that, that could take the form of inheritance on a death through careful will structuring, uh, or it could be just a lifetime gift, which could be just a tr- simple transfer of cash or the purchase of property or investments in someone else's name. Mm-hmm. Um, it all, however, involves a redistribution of wealth, uh, which, of course, financial advisors are well-placed to uh, help plan for and facilitate, uh, mm-hmm. taking account, obviously, of the of the tax consequences that might flow from that. Right. Um, and wealth transfer often involves drafting wills and establishing trusts. So what are the most common legal issues or pitfalls you encounter in this process that financial advisors should be aware of? Okay, well, let's break that down a little bit then and look at wills which mm-hmm. could include creating trusts, of course, and then and then lifetime trusts. Mm-hmm. So, so in terms of wills, I suppose the biggest pitfall, of course, is not having one. Um, yeah, it's, most people don't. I know that still the majority of people have not got a will in place. Um, and, and, and that's a bit of a shame uh, mm. because, you know, a will really is a bedrock of someone's estate planning. Uh, and without that, the default rules, which are the intestacy rules, will come into play. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're just not appropriate for, for the majority of people. So, you know, for example, the intestacy rules say that if you're married with children, a percentage of your estate goes to your children, not necessarily to your spouse, which mm-hmm. everyone appreciates. And that might be all right if you quite like your children. Um, mm-hmm. But it, but it does mean that, you know, some money goes to someone who's not your spouse. And from a tax perspective, that yeah. will either use some of the allowance or mean that tax is going to get paid. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and I suppose the other thing is, of course, with intestacy rules, you've got, it, it's just your your nearest blood relative who inherits. So your right. lifelong partner uh, or your friends yeah. or your favorite charities all get all get nothing. Yeah. Um, the other issue I suppose we've got with wills is that a lot of people see it as a bit of a one and done process. Yeah. You know, so, so you do your will and, you know, big tick. Never look it, at it st- again. Sort it. Exactly. Exactly right. So, um, you know, we'll come across a lot of people who've got wills that just leave 
everything, you know, married couple perhaps, leave everything to each other and then to their children. Mm. And, and on some, that's, yeah, entry level wills, which for a lot of people, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but but things do change. Yeah. Um, that that might be okay if you're a youngish couple, you're, you know, your primary purpose of making a will is to name guardians for your children, perhaps that's mm-hmm. all okay. But, you know, as, as circumstances change, your asset base changes, family dynamics change, you, you've really got to reflect that in your will. So, you know, you might have business assets that you want to make use of business relief. You might um, be thinking about life interest type arrangements because you're worried that your spouse might remarry after you, after your death, uh, particularly mm-hmm. important, I suppose, for, for people who've been married before. Um, yeah. or, or you might just have beneficiaries who are, for one reason or another, not quite ready to receive an inheritance yet. Mm-hmm. They might not be financially mature enough or, or dare I say, sort of matrimonially secure enough mm. to receive their inheritance um, so, so that, you know, you, you need a slightly more complicated structure. Um, with, with, with sort of with lifetime trusts, um, a couple of things to think about with that. And that is um, you, you've got to understand the basic premise, which is you're making a gift. You're giving something away. Yeah. So you, you 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 can't say, well, I've put it into trust, but I can still benefit from it. Well, certainly mm. you can't from a tax perspective because that won't work. It's a breach of the reservation of benefit rules. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so with trust, you know, you appoint trustees. You need at least two, one of which could be you. Mm-hmm. And the trustees then <clears throat> manage the assets for the beneficiaries and that you've carefully selected. Um, you are creating a new entity, though. And you need to be aware of all that involves. So you, you've, you've got to think, well, I've got to manage the assets now in a trustee-like, so cautious way. Because we can all be as daft as we like with our own money, can't we? We can mm-hmm. um, you know, put the money on the 330 at Redcar if we want. But yeah. if you're a trustee, you, you can't really do that. The Trustee no. Act will force you to act more carefully because you've got to be acting in the best interest of the beneficiaries. So... Um, have regular meetings, you've got to produce accounts, you've got to fill in tax returns. In other words, there's administration. And some mm-hmm. people sometimes don't take account of that fully. Yeah. And yeah, that's a lot of things to think about. Um, and I hope uh, our advisors are able to like work with teams like Absolutely. yours to Absolutely. navigate those issues. Yeah, exactly right. Um, so recent rules have mandated that trusts to uh, have mandated trusts to register with the government's trust registration service. Um, so can you tell us more about this and its implications for both advisors and their clients? Yeah, you're right. I mean, the government has introduced an online trust register um, and it's extended its scope now to so that it covers nearly all trusts on an ongoing basis. Mm. Um whether a trust is taxable or not, the, the government want to know about it. Now, essentially what the register was about, it was introduced as part of the UK's implementation of the fifth uh, money laundering directive to ensure uh-huh. the country's got proper anti-money laundering and counter-terrorist financing um, mm-hmm. procedures in place. So you, you, you can't really criticise the thinking behind it, uh, but it does involve administration. Um, mm-hmm. so, so from the 1st of September 2022, um, the, the, there's quite a lot more that you've got to deal with when you create a trust. So you've got to go online. Um, you uh, you have to provide details of the person who's setting up the trust and the trustees and their beneficiaries, um, their nationalities, their dates of birth and the interest they've got in the trust. Uh, and then, you know, on an ongoing basis, if there's any changes to that, you've got to report those changes within 90 days. Um, from an advisor point of view, that, that um, UK service providers are required now to, to confirm that a trust has been registered. 
before commencing a business relationship. So, so it's mm. another, it's a bit like anti-money laundering generally, isn't it? Another thing that you've got to ask for, not just someone's passport and, and driving license or whatever. You've got to go, well, show us your the, the credentials for the trust that's been registered to prove that the government know about it. Yeah. Um, and it, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's clearly clearly having an effect because there's been a massive surge in registrations. Uh, so, so up to the end of March 2023, it was 462,000 trusts registered. Wow. Um, whereas, you know, in, in the year before, it was only 33,000. So, mm. so that extension to cover all trusts, whether they pay tax or not, has had a massive effect. A lot of work has had to be done. And I suppose the, 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 the worrying thing is there's probably a load of trusts out there that, that have not so, yet been dealt yeah. with. Certainly, we come across them pretty regularly. So trusts, perhaps, where you've got um, a surviving spouse living in a house on a life yeah. interest because, they, they, you know, the husband and wife died and said, you can, you can stay there for life and then I want it to go to the kids. Mm-hmm. That, that's a trust. It's not producing any income. There's mm-hmm. not really any administration involved. No one's thinking that there's a trust there, but there is. Mm-hmm. That should have been registered as of last September. Um, I suspect some of those will start to come out of the woodwork over the next few years. Mm-hmm. And another component of that is also inheritance tax. Um, oh, yeah. So it is a significant concern for many clients. So how can financial advisors work with uh, clients to navigate the complexities of IHT and what are the considerations to keep in mind? Yeah, well, it is obviously a significant concern and it's an ever-increasing, uh, or there's an ever-increasing number of clients for whom it's applicable because that nil rate band allowance for inheritance tax, it's £325,000, has remained the same since 2009. And mm-hmm. it doesn't look like it's going up anytime soon. So, you know, as house prices increase uh, and asset values go up, more and more people are falling within that um, within that tax net. So uh, certainly this year from April to September, I think it was about £3.9 billion has been raised through inheritance tax. Right. So that's you know, almost half a bit, half a billion higher than the previous, uh, the previous year. Mm. Um, just a preliminary point, though, to, to think about if you're uh, advising someone who's doing their estate planning, is just to to, to know their drivers about tax, um, because it, it, I think it's sometimes very easy to jump into assuming that everyone is is trying to mitigate tax as much as possible without really finding out about what clients' objectives are. So, for mm. example, if a client says, "Well, you know, to be honest, I'm just going to give all my money to charity." then there's not an awful lot of point diving through a load of, well, let's go through all your options of inheritance tax planning because you're not right. going to have that issue. Uh, but for those who do want to consider tax planning, um, I think it is very important to just bear in mind, you know, get to know the basics, get, let's know the allowances, let's know those reliefs um, to make sure that they're maximized. So, so um, as I mentioned before, you know everything that goes to spouse is tax-free. Mm-hmm. It is spouse though, not common law spouse. So anything that you yeah. need to married or a registered civil partner is tax-free, as long as that person is uh, UK domiciled. So there's a slight, right. wrink- slight wrinkle there as well. Um, and in addition to the nil rate ban, the £325,000 that isn't going up anytime soon, um, there's the confusingly named residential nil rate band allowance. Okay? Okay. So something the government's introduced to try and help with inheritance tax, but then made it as complicated as possible. So an allowance that gives you up to £175,000 worth of extra allowance if Mm -hmm. you've got a house, if you've got, or if you leave that house to your direct descendants, which I think is government speak for your children, right? Mm -hmm. And then um, 
if your estate's less than two million pounds. So there's hoops that you've got to jump through to qualify for that. But again, bearing in mind, you know, if you're doing some planning as a financial advisor, encouraging clients to make sure they hit those criteria will be quite important because you've got that extra allowance available. And it's transferable between spouses too. So if one doesn't use it, those, you know, both the null rate band allowance and the residential null rate band allowance double up. So mm-hmm. effectively a married couple might have an inheritance tax threshold of a million if all of the conditions fall right. Um, and remember, you, you, it's important to bear in mind that you can you can make potentially exempt transfers. Okay, mm-hmm. in other words, gifts. Um, you give money away, survive seven years, it's outside your estate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even if you don't survive seven years, there is a taper relief that kicks in after three. Um, but it, again, sometimes it, it is uh, misunderstood that taper relief will only apply if the amount that you've given away exceeds the nil rate band. So it's only really for bigger gifts that that's going to be applicable. Mm-hmm. Um, the annual exemptions are, are pretty paltry these days. So £3,000 a year, you don't have to survive seven years if you give that away. Okay, well, it's not a big amount, is it? And mm-hmm. you can take it back a year. And then, you know, any number of 250s, 250 pounds is you can give away as long as it's the separate individuals. Um, the, the one that I think sometimes is overlooked, and I think it would be well for advisors just to bear in mind, is because uh, it might mean restructuring um, investments to take this into account, it, mm-hmm. is the normal expenditure out of income exemption. So, right. again, a bit confusing, but I said, what, 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 what it's talking about here is if you've got a particular person who has got surplus income, lucky them, right? But they have, maybe. Yeah. And they regularly give it away, not necessarily the same amount and not necessarily to the same people. But right. that, that is immediately exempt. So no surviving seven years. Okay. Um, but you do have to be on top of your records with that because you might have to prove it. So, mm. you know, you, you've got to write your letters saying, this is what I'm intending to do so that there's some kind of audit trail um, mm. so that that can be proved later if need be. And then things that, you know, financial advisors may be more comfortable with uh, or, or certainly more within their sphere than in the legal. Uh, so, so pension planning, making sure life insurance is in trust and talking about investment products that are inheritance tax friendly are all an mm-hmm. important part of the um, of the tax planning toolkit. Uh, and we very often as lawyers have to remember, hang on, we, we, we need to make sure we've got financial advo- advisors involved with that because we can't talk about those things or, we're, you know, we're not we're not um, qualified to do so. So it, it, it's it's bringing in lawyers and financial advisors to work together that usually produces the best result. Mm-hmm. And I want to go back to uh, what you mentioned earlier about asset values and how, especially in real estate and investments, they've been on the rise. Um, so what challenges and opportunities does this present when it comes to wealth transfer and tax planning? Yeah, I suppose obviously increased asset values mean potentially larger estates. Um, mm. And there may be more scope to I suppose I was going to say more scope to give things away, more scope to spend more. Let's be honest. Yeah, it gives, gives you a bit, bit of a choice to to do things that you always want to do in life, maybe. Um, but I think it, you've got to bear in mind that you know bigger estates could ultimately mean more tax, mm-hmm. and I think that's when good cash flow modelling um, is key for clients because if there's a bigger tax bill down the down the road, then it might be if you if there's more money in the in the pot, then you you could consider making those gifts a bit earlier than you otherwise would. Mm-hmm. And if you can sit down with someone and go, well, hang on a minute, let's make sure um, that I can have some reassurance that if I make this gift, I can still do all the things I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, mm-hmm. that, that, then that's an important part of the planning process. 
Um, a, a temptation, of course, or the way the tax system is designed with this seven-year rule is to, is to make gifts early uh, in the hope that you can survive seven years. Um, but that does have to be tempered with making sure that the recipient's at the right stage of life. Um, you, you know, the, you, you could be very clever and say, well, look, I've transferred all this money to my children and save 40%. Uh, but if your children then subsequently divorce and lose 50% mm -hmm. of it, um, you, you, you've not got a good net result with that. So you just you just have to make sure that you've got the timing of it right. Yeah. And with your expertise in wealth transfer and tax, can you provide some practical tips for our listeners, uh, specifically uh, for staying ahead of changes in tax landscape and optimizing wealth transfer strategies? Yeah, sure. So in terms of estate planning, I, th I think the key really is to think about starting as early as possible and to be flexible in your planning. So mm -hmm. obviously keep it under review because uh, it's a bit of a cliche, but you shouldn't put all your eggs in a one tax mitigation basket. Um, I, I suppose you, you could say at the moment the tax system is quite benign. We know that we can give things away, survive seven years and it's outside the estate. Um, but you don't want to leave that too late before you start. Because certainly we come across clients a lot of the time who say, well, you know, yeah, 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 I'm going to do that later when I'm mm -hmm. a bit old. But I think sometimes we see it that clients reach a stage in life when it's hard to change the mindset. So if you've been looking to build up your wealth over a period of time, working hard, building up your savings, sometimes late on in life, you say, it's difficult to say, right, I've now reached a point where I think I'm comfortable and I can start to divest myself of some money by giving it away. Uh, that that critical turning point sometimes gets missed. Um, clearly, if you've got assets with a large gain, um, you, you might decide that you are going to put that into trust. So I talked before about creating lifetime trust. Well, you know, if if you've got an asset like a property or some investments with a large capital gain, um, you, you might think to yourself, "Well, I can't just transfer that because I'll, I'll, I don't want to have to pay the gain on it." Um, well, as long as the amount that you're talking about is within your nil rate band allowance, so three hundred and twenty-five thousand pounds, you might decide that you'd put that into trust because you can then hold over the gain into a discretionary trust, and that's quite useful for. Um, or it's certainly a, an, an idea using a trust like that during lifetimes, an idea that is common for sort of bank of mum and dad type gifts, if I can call it that. So, so perhaps, you know, parents who want to help their children um, with, with their start in life, uh, and maybe help with a property purchase. So if you if you just say to your son or daughter, there you go, here's some money, well, that's great because it reduces the value of your estate, good. Um, but maybe you've then got, you might not be so quite, quite so happy if the child then sells the house and runs off with the money and parties in Magaluf till the money runs out or, or <laughs> you know, it does, um, you know, mortgages it to the hilt or mm. tra transfers, it, transfers it to a partner you don't particularly like. So th there's potential issues with that. And, and I think that's sometimes where people say, well, like, can, can I not just put the money in trust and then the trust can buy the property um, mm. for the child to live in, which, of course, you can. Uh, but then you you would be paying higher stamp duty uh, rates for that. So so sometimes the compromise is to say, well, we'll set up a trust, put the money in, and then the trustees, very often yourselves, will decide to lend the money to the children, perhaps interest-free if you really like them, right? Yeah. Um, and then the children can buy the property in their own name. Um, mm -hmm. It would be their main residence, so hopefully not quite severe for stamp duty. And then if anything does happen, 
um, that you don't like, so some kind of matrimonial meltdown with the child, <laughs> then you then you can turn around and say, um, well, perhaps it'll be the child actually who encourages you to say, we, we, we need you to pay that money back. Right. The, the trustees ask for the money to come back in. Um, children then sort themselves out, hopefully, and then at some future stage, can come back to the trustees and say, "Is there any chance of another little um, another little borrow from the pot?" Mm-hmm. So that, that that's certainly something that we see quite a lot. Um, and I'm sure there'll be you know family lawyers out there saying, "Ah, oh, well, we could still take um, assets into account if there's a discretionary trust." But that, that is that is true. But at least mm-hmm. it offers some protection. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you've had your fair share of real life success stories and case studies. Um, can you share any that can illustrate the benefits of effective wealth transfer planning and legal counsel? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose. What I said a fairly typical um, example came up relatively recently uh, here at Waitmans, where we had a client who was probably mid fifties, mm-hmm. um, and he run his own successful trading business. Uh, and he was a client of our owner-managed business team. We were helping him trying to find a buyer for the business. So mm-hmm. he, he, he was done. He, he, he was ready to, he was ready to take, take a, a backward step in terms of his, um, in terms of his career path. He wanted to stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had children in, his 20, in their twenties, but they, they weren't really keen to take it on. They, they, mm-hmm. they, they got their own interests and they wanted to do their own thing. Um, and, he, and his concern was inheritance tax. Because as a business owner, he was in quite a fortunate position. He owned shares in a trading business that qualify for 100% business relief. Mm-hmm. So, so up until the sale, he's fine. Largely, his biggest asset was covered. Okay, right. Um, he he got wills that took advantage of that business relief. So, so all was well. But he was worrying about what happens on post sale. Um, because post sale, well, he'll pay some capital gains tax on the sale anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then what? Then he's got what was potentially quite a chunky amount of cash sat in his estate. Um, and yes, he could be spoken to about reinvesting that in other business type assets, but that's not really what he wanted to do. He didn't want to take that risk. He, mm-hmm. he, he, he wanted the more comfortable life. Um, mm-hmm. Now, fortunately, in this particular case, he, he, he did speak to us early enough, because sometimes they're the sort of clients that we get introduced to you know, the day before the sale and you go, well, there's not an awful lot you can do now, is there? Um, yeah. Or even after the sale, but in this case there was plenty of time. So, so, so what he looked to do was to put some shares, um, or qualifying for relief, into trust before the sale, mm-hmm. with the intention that when the sale goes through, that money then sits in the trust and not in his name. So mm-hmm. he's ring fenced some of the money for essentially for his children, so they're outside mm-hmm. of his estate. Um, with the sale proceeds, he also um, because he was you know still a plenty more than mm-hmm. he needed, he decided he would set up a family investment company. Um, so, so a company structure where he gave the children different classes of shares that he was still in control of, and then he could right. decide whether to give them dividends in the future or not, depending on what mood he was in, uh, and also what stage the children were at, I suppose, in life. Mm-hmm. So, so he, he, he managed to transition himself from being a business owner to a non-business owner without quite the dramatic inheritance tax bump that some people uh, experience or, or, mm-hmm. or the risk of it. Um, we then spoke to his parents. Um, okay. Because his parents were comfortably off, okay. um, 
not not as well off as he was going to be, but mm-hmm. all right. Mm-hmm. Um, and we spoke to them some more. You know, what 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 are you doing with your estate planning? And they, and surprise surprise, they were leaving it to their son, right? Who was just selling a business. Well, is that a good idea? Because yeah. he, he's busily trying to get himself out of this inheritance tax hole, and you're going to give him a little, <laughs> load of money. And he he was aware that he could do a variation if they did pass away and leave it to him. But a better mm-hmm. alternative would be just for them to address it in the first place. So what they're doing yeah. is changing their wills. And they're saying, well, and we've had that conversation. Do you want to just leave it directly to the grandchildren? Which yeah. they were quite keen to do. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or the son is saying, well, I'll put it in trust for the grandchildren because that's a little yes. bit more, bit more um, got a little bit more protection to it. Yeah. Uh, and then interestingly, we spoke to the children, okay, because they're in the 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, on the face of it, they could be wealthy people mm. right um and we just wanted to have a chat to them about their plans so we wanted to put a will in place unusual mm-hmm. for 20 year olds but certainly if you've got a level of wealth or really anything you should be thinking about wills at that age too so so they mm-hmm. talked about wills and then with a little bit of encouragement um from parents and they were a bit reluctant to talk about it but we had to talk about things like um you know cohabitation agreements and prenuptial arrangements because mm. you know dad might not have been so keen to transfer things to them if he thought there might be a risk in the future. Yeah. Um, so, so kind of it was, a, it was a whole family conversation. And, mm-hmm. and I think that sort of intergenerational planning is really the key to these things. It, if people can talk and openly about it and have a conversation and everyone feels that they're involved in the plan, I think mm-hmm. that produces the best results. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It sounds like having that whole cohesive and making sure that there's open communication is the most important thing in in those cases. Yeah, because I mean, we've, we often come across people who, you know, parents who set up, perhaps in their will, set up trusts for their children. And they have uh, no idea. Have, well, they don't talk to the children about it. So yeah. the children feel a bit aggrieved because they pass away and go, oh, we, we've been left nothing. Well, you kind of have, it's in a trust. Mm. Um, and then the children, you know, either are the trustees themselves or they speak to the trustees and say, we, we don't get this. We don't like it. Don't like mm. it. Get, get rid of it. So, yeah. so, and they've usually got the power to do that. They get rid of it, wind it up. And then three or four years later, they go, ah, suddenly why. understand why that <laughs> trust was put in place now. Yeah. Um, but it's too late then. It's gone. Um, yeah. You know, they can't create their own trust because they can't benefit from their own. So, it just seemed a bit of a shame in those situations where that, that conversation's not happened so that the mm. parent tells the child what, what's on the agenda. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder if you have any idea of any upcoming changes or trends in the legal and financial landscape that advisors should be prepared for when assisting their clients with wealth transfer and estate planning. I mean, obviously, we have the potential for general election at some point and a new government, which could, you know, change a lot. But absolutely. And I'll, I'll, I'll come back to those. But I think, first of all, I think it's worth just thinking about sort of the demographic shift that's happening as well at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, there is an increase in the older population. I think the mm-hmm. census a couple of years ago said that people over 65 had increased by 2 million pounds in the, sorry, 2 million in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, the baby boomer generation are reaching retirement phase of their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and generally speaking, and I appreciate there's exceptions, but they, you might say overall they're doing okay financially. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll typically be homeowners. Yeah. Uh, they might have nice um, pension provisions. So they're kind of set for retirement. Mm-hmm. The younger generation, however, have got a slightly different financial backdrop. You know, they, yeah. they, they might find it difficult to get on the property ladder. Yeah. They may have more career paths that are a bit more wiggly rather than, you know, <laughs> job for life. 
Um, they may have. You're a, talking a, about me. <laughs> well, I don't know your background, uh, but they, they they might have a financial outlook that's a little bit different from the generation above. Um, mm. so, so there's a, there's a, there may, may, may be a cultural gap that's not just technolo- uh, technology based they, 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 they may just be well hang on a minute yes investments are important but I want to know what the impact of those investments are um, mm. rather than just what's the, the overall maximum financial return I can get from it and, mm. and I think that sort of different perspective does need to be thought through when, when you're thinking about the, the, the generational wealth transfer Mm-hmm. Um, but yet, in terms of what might change in the future, clearly, yeah, we've got well, we've got a budget before an election, haven't we? So, there has course of jumped forward. Yeah, it's okay. There, there, there's talk. We don't know what there's talk, isn't there? There's newspaper campaigns. There's all kinds of going about about inheritance tax. Yeah. So you know, for the first time and only time in my 30 year career so far, any you know, inheritance tax is actually making the the, the, the press as, as an mm-hmm. interesting thing to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, who whether that happens, I don't know. I mean, inheritance tax brings in seven billion pound a year. So mm. if there is no, there's no inheritance tax. Where does where does that money come from? Yeah. Is, there, is there something else? Do we do we get rid of inheritance tax? And which would be interesting. Yeah, and it'd be interesting politically, wouldn't it? Because you know, you you might say, well, what what proportion of the population actually pays inheritance tax? It's probably relatively small. Mm. So I don't don't know how that's going to pan out. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know, it may it may well be that 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 becomes a manifesto pledge or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Difference if there's a change of government. It, it, you know, are, are we then going to be saying, well, actually, we quite like the redistribution of wealth that inheritance tax brings in. Mm-hmm. Um, so so it, it it is very much difficult to plan for, and and and, and you know, what changes will happen to pensions because they always seemingly get changed yeah, um, whenever there's a budget or a change in government. Yeah. Uh, again, pensions very useful way of trying to plan for inheritance tax at the moment, but who knows what the rules were going to be. So, mm-hmm. so I think in some ways it's just a well, we know what the score is now. Mm-hmm. So why don't we take advantage of whatever we know now? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll just if our plans are flexible and we're thinking about them all the time, we, we'll have to adapt them as and when the rules change. Yeah. So flexibility is key. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and finally, are there any resources or tools that you would recommend for our listeners to stay updated and informed in this ever-evolving field? Yeah, well, if you can ex- excuse the shameless plug. Um, oh, I the, love the, a plug. The, yeah, well, the, the Waitman's Services for Individuals newsletter uh, is available, um, mm-hmm. which keeps can keep you up to date. You can subscribe for that at waitmans.com. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, though, I, I think it's right to point out that the, the revenue, so HMRC, I've got a trust and estates newsletter, which is mm-hmm. which is pretty good and comprehensive. Uh, the latest edition of that's got an awful lot on the trust registration service at the moment. Okay, and then also um, from my perspective, I'm also a member of STEP, so the Society of Trust and yes. Estate Practitioners, mm-hmm. uh, which is a global professional body covering lawyers and accountants as well as financial advisors, mm-hmm. um, all trying all with the aim of of helping families plan for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and they set standards and do educational courses and publish articles and journals, which are all very good. So I, I would encourage listeners to to find out a bit more about STEP. Mm-hmm. Okay, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today, Richard. I think you just gave so much of your own expertise and uh, had so many interesting um, stories to tell. So thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. 
Thank you for listening to In Conversation With. We do hope that you enjoyed it. Please do keep up to date with all our new releases via Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your podcasts from. You can also keep up to date with all our new content published on the Money Marketing website, as well as our print edition, Money Marketing Magazine. So make sure to subscribe. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. See you next time.